Well, happy Easter, everyone. Uh, I had a great, uh, I heard a great report from the sunrise service, uh, even though it was a bit wet. <coughs> and also, we had a fantastic time at the Sneak Peak down in Vandalia. Uh, those of you who were there, yeah, uh, it was awesome. <coughs> we had just under 100 people. Uh, show up for the first, really the first public service. It was kind of by invitation only, but uh, it was an awesome time, awesome worship. And just want to uh, bless everyone and say happy Resurrection Sunday uh, as we celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. I am going to continue, though, on my uh, uh, series of the Sermon on the Mount rather than doing a uh, unique uh, sermon on Easter, and if you're, if you're concerned whether or not I know how to preach about Easter, you can listen to any of the podcasts from the previous 20 years. <laughs> I actually know a lot about Easter, but uh, we're going to uh, continue on with the Sermon on the Mount. Would you join me in a word of prayer? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you rose from the dead, and in that resurrection, you made a way. You freed all of us. All who follow you will rise in like manner. As you rose, we will rise. And so we follow you. We commit ourselves to following you uh, uh, this morning and every morning. And we rejoice at the victory you showed over sin and death and Satan. And we, we give thanks that, uh, that you have given us life and life more abundantly. I ask that your grace would be upon this word as I uh, try to communicate what you put on my heart. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. <clears throat> well, we are continuing... Boom, 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 boom. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Oh, you know, I had a, I had a, Actually, the Lord told me this was going to happen. We've had a lot of problems. This one, um, it should work. Boom! There we go. Matthew five seventeen through twenty. <clears throat> We're going to just pick right up uh, where we left off and uh, read through first in the New King James as, as Jesus continues the sermon. Do not think that I have come uh, to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. Has that happened yet? Not yet. You sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're pretty sure about that. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is what? Fulfilled. Fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and uh, and the scribes, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, which is a little more contemporary wording, just so we can hear it from a different perspective. It says, don't misunderstand why I have come, Jesus says. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. 
unless heaven and earth disappear. Has that happened yet? You sure? Okay. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's lots and lots in this in this little short, just a couple of verses. We're just going to kind of pull out a few things that, and, and hopefully we'll notice that they're in alignment with the theme that I'm, I'm emphasizing through the sermon. What I see is, is one of the major themes of the Sermon on the Mount. Previously, Jesus was talking about being an influence or being influencers in our society, in life, being salt and light, being a city on the hill. That's what we talked about in our last message. But now Jesus turns his attention and addresses directly the Old Testament and how his kingdom is related to that which has come before. And so these couple of verses sets the stage for understanding Jesus' teaching throughout the rest of the sermon. And he's particularly referencing how his kingdom fulfills or, or interrelates with the Old Covenant. And, and remember that the whole culture, as well as the religious institutions of that day, were completely structured by an understanding of the Old Testament. You know, it's, it's really difficult for us to <clears throat> comprehend how radical some of these words were because we've heard them and it's been 2,000 years and Christianity is, is now established as uh, you know, a dominant religion in the world. Jesus was speaking these into a culture that only knew the Old Covenant, only knew the Law. And so he's speaking radical words. So again, we're going to read 17 and 18. Uh, Don't think I've come to destroy the Law of the Prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Assuredly, I say to you, to heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the Law until it's fulfilled. So why do you think Jesus said, don't think? Or in the other translation says, don't misunderstand. Don't, don't think I've come to abolish. Or don't misunderstand why I'm here. Well, why would you say that if you were in a conversation? Because some people were probably thinking that. Or that it would be easy to, to, to come across uh, and misunderstand what he's saying. It just makes sense. Jesus said that because it could be easily misunderstood. Initially or superficially, people may think and many thought uh, um, what Jesus was saying was contrary, that he came to abolish the Old Testament. And he's saying, no, don't misunderstand. You have to listen to what he's saying because he is not abolishing any of the Old Testament or the Old uh, uh, covenant. In fact, he's he's saying that's the foundation. He, Jesus begins his ministry. This is a this is the uh, 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 his inaugural address, right? And this is the beginning of of Jesus's public ministry. And right from the beginning and all the way through, he establishes this as as foundational. 
He begins by declaring the foundation of all of his ministry. And then Matthew, introducing this at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, is also setting up the stage that what Jesus is saying, and, and everything you read from Matthew all the way through to the end, is the fulfillment of uh, the Old Covenant. Do you understand that? So both Jesus and Matthew, is, are, they position this, Jesus in, his, in speaking this, and then Matthew as he's writing, he's putting this right up front, he's front-loading it, that we need to understand this is the launching point from which we read the whole gospel. Is, and the launching point is that foundation. It's like when, the, when a spaceship takes off, the shuttle, right? There's a launching pad, right? What would happen if the spaceship didn't have a launching pad? Yeah, it was just, you know, it wouldn't get in the space. So how important is the launching pad? Extremely important. Right? You don't do away with the launching pad. So the law and the prophets, this is where you, uh, you may not understand, that's just the old, what we call the Old Testament. All right. That was the common ter- term for the Old Testament. And then there's these, these funny terms, a jot and a tittle. How many times, how many tittles do you have? <laughs> um, and those are just the smallest part, uh, two small mark, different types of marks in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and it, it would be similar for us saying every I dotted and every T crossed. Uh, and so it's the same idea. And what's interesting is that in writing Hebrew, in the language of Hebrew, often those marks are optional. Kind of interesting. So maybe could Jesus be saying what can even seem optional is mandatory? Right? Even the parts that you may lightly say, oh, this isn't that significant, he's saying all of them, not one of those, not even the smallest little mark is going to be uh, taken away until the fulfillment. So this passage reveals Jesus' attitude toward the Old Testament, and it introduces Jesus' ethical teaching in relationship to the Old Testament and that practiced by the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, so he's, he's, he's talking about how he relates to the Old Covenant, but he's also addressing how uh, the error that um, the Pharisees and the scribes have kind of corrupted the Old Testament. He's kind of addressing both the reality of the Old Testament, how he relates, and the error that the scribes and the Pharisees have, are living and how he contrasts both. But the key, we, key word that we need to focus on is the word fulfill. This is Jesus' self-described purpose statement. I come to fulfill. All right? I come to fulfill. Uh, and it means to complete. It means to bring to its destined end, to give its full meaning. And I think this, this message, I might, I might uh, just elaborate a little bit and kind of tie it in. You know, there's a lot of debate going on in our day and time right now. What in the Bible still applies? What, you know, how, how can we apply it into our day? There's a lot of debate, isn't there? on Facebook, about some issues in life that people are saying, oh, the way it was defined in the past isn't the way it's defined today. Well, what still applies? Jesus says all of it still applies, but it applies in his fulfillment. And so uh, keep that in mind as, 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 as the things you know, that you struggle with 
in the Bible, are they still required? Yes, but in this life. Uh, so Jesus comes to complete, to bring to its destined end, to give its full meaning. Let's go on. The Strong's definition of this word fulfill, um, it's, it's long, but we're going to read through all of it because I believe all of it applies. In other words, this is the full meaning of the word fulfillment. When Jesus says, I come to fulfill, this is what he's saying. Things to make replete, that is literally to cram, like stuff, something completely full, to level up if there was any place that's hollow, uh, to furnish, to imbue, to diffuse, to influence, to satisfy. He comes to satisfy the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, right? To execute, right? He comes as the one who executes. Not, not in the kill, but to like if you execute the, 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 the responsibilities of a commander-in-chief. That's what he's coming to do in office. To finish, to bring to a completion its period or task. To verify, uh, to coincide with the prediction of everything that the Old Testament spoke of. He comes to verify it. Not to annul it, but to verify. To accomplish. He actually lived. Every command to its fullest meaning. He accomplished it. He completed it. To end, bring it to its end, expire. To fill, to fulfill, to make full, to come, to fully preach. Right? Not only did he fulfill it personally, but he preached it in the, in the, in, with the intention and the fulfillment of what it was originally intended to be preached. Alright? So he's contrasting his ministry with that of the Pharisees and scribes who, who, over the centuries, lost the full meaning. Maybe they never even knew the full meaning. Jesus was the full meaning. And so He was able to preach it. So Jesus is, as a person, again, it's not just something Jesus taught. And this is kind of a difficulty with, with, with just coming to church and listening to somebody teach. <laughs> and so much of Christianity comes across as, well, you're here to learn information that will help your life get better. You know what? That is not the purpose of church. Right? Now, information is important. God gave us a brain on purpose. We need one. We can't function without one, right? But the information is to lead to an experience. Okay? Revelation is to lead to an encounter. An encounter with who? An experience with what? With Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the fulfillment. All right, not just this information. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Jesus is and does every one of these things that I just read uh, to the law and the prophets. In Romans, Paul describing the same idea in Romans 10, uh, verse 4, says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Wow. Okay, this Paul wrote this. Now, Romans was written probably... 30 years in to, uh, the, uh, to Christianity. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it, it may have been longer. Uh, at least 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So there was decades of church uh, and they'd been teaching and establishing and there were already Gentile congregations and he's writing to, to the believers that in Rome. In uh, Romans, actually, the whole book is, is one of the best um, um, descriptions of, of the Christian faith. It, it, kinda, it also, one of its major themes is understanding how the Old Covenant and Jewish uh, uh, traditions and law 
integrate into what is now what we call the church that incorporates people from every ethnicity. And, Christ, and, and Paul says, and the Word of God says, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's saying the same thing that Jesus said. Okay? The end, which means the fulfillment, the, des- the, the destiny. So Jesus completes, but he also <laughs> transcends the law. All right? And you have to understand what I mean by that. And I thought, you know, Jesus is the end. He's the destination. But I thought of an illustration of a vacation. Like, so if I say, I'm going to take my family to Disney World, the end of the vacation isn't when we get to Disney World. It's like, we got to Disney World. Isn't it great? Look at that sign. That's great. Okay. And we're going to drive back now. (laughs) You know, what we... What would happen if you did that to your kids? You drive two days, right? You finally get to the gate. You pay the parking at $15 a day. Jeez. <laughs> and you drive in and say, kids, we made it. We're at Disney World. All right. Now we're going back. <laughs> That's not the end of the vacation, is it? That's the start of the vacation. So once you get to the destination, then you're really at the starting point. Does that make sense? And that's Jesus. He's saying the law brought you to this point, and its whole purpose was to get you to this point. And the point is Jesus Christ. All right? And that's when the vacation starts. <laughs> Jesus transcends by living on eternally. All right? He is still alive. He is still speaking. He's still ministering. Uh, And so he's continuing to fulfill everything that was written. He is the fulfillment. And so one of the keys in understanding what Jesus is talking about is that he changes the focal point of the law, the Old Covenant, from the written code to the fulfillment. Up until Christ's time, Everyone was looking back to the words of Moses, the words of the prophets, which were written hundreds and hundreds, almost a thousand years. Some were spoken over a thousand years earlier. And so they were looking to this book and the writings differently than what we look to the Bible. Uh, in, In that, it encapsulates God. And Jesus was saying, no, that's just to bring you to me. Right, and the focus isn't the written word, but it is me. And so now, as Christians, if you understand this, a lot of Christians don't understand this. A lot of Christians believe that we live focused on the Bible. Listen, there is nobody in the room that has a higher regard of Scripture than I. I guarantee it, because <laughs> I love Scripture. I bow my knee to Scripture. But Scripture's only purpose is to lead me to Jesus Christ. And if it does anything less than that, then I have abused Scripture. Does that make sense? All right. Why? Because that's the point. That's what it was meant to do. Um, It's not because the Old Testament no longer applies, but because he was the purpose of the law. He was the application of the law and the prophets. Christ is the fulfillment. So he hasn't removed anything. He's just bringing it to its intended end. So the commentary that I'm using says it this way. It says, it is then Jesus, uh, Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Testament, which is in view here. 
Right? The law remains valid until it reaches its intended culmination. And that intended culmination is now doing in the ministry and teaching of Jesus. Now, when you first read that, you may think <clears throat> that he was talking about the now being when Jesus spoke that. 2,000 years ago? But that's not what it means. Because Jesus is still living and doing ministry, isn't he? Amen. All right? So it's talking about the intended culmination, which is now doing in the ministry and teaching of Jesus. This verse does not state, therefore, as it is sometimes interpreted, that every regulation in the Old Testament law remains binding after the covenant of Jesus, or after the coming of Jesus. The law is unalterable, but that does not justify its application beyond the purpose for which it was intended. So there's two errors that happen. Some people <clears throat> think that, oh, because the law is unalterable, then we have to keep doing everything that the law states. And that was the primary problem that the early church faced, was people coming out of Judaism, Jews, uh, religious Jews, came into salvation with a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they thought all of this Old Testament law, we had to still practice literally as Christians, and they were teaching others to do that. So we ha they had to do everything, the dietary laws, the ceremonial laws, all the different things in a, in a, in a literal way. All the regulations. That's one error. You know, so why aren't you keeping the Sabbath? And, 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 and you, know, you walk more than 30 steps on Saturday. You, you, you just broke the law. You sinned. You know, all these different things. And then the other mistake, and this is what's actually the problem today, is that none of those things matter. You can do whatever you want. You want to swear? Go ahead. Use whatever words you want. You want to have sex with anybody or everybody? That's fine because it's under grace. Right? You, want to, you want to think whatever you want to think and you believe whatever you want to believe. You know, it's all, it's all free, free love. You know, well, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is saying either. Right? So we need to understand that the application of the law changes, but the law does not change. Does that make, and the application, I'm gonna, I'll just get down to it. I can elaborate, I think, better if I use my notes. <laughs> okay, because every law and statement in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. For Christians, our obedience to those laws or all of the Old Testament must be found in applying them in the way that they are fulfilled in Christ. Okay? Does that make sense? Because the whole Old Testament was fulfilled in the person of Christ. Then as Christians, our obedience to those laws must be found. How do you obey those laws? You obey them in the way that they are fulfilled in Christ. The Old Testament laws, prophecies, all of it must not be ignored. Oh, it's just so, it, it sorrows me. It actually causes me to be a little upset when people diss the Old Testament. Oh, I don't understand all that. It doesn't apply anyway. I'm like, dude, you are really missing the point. All of it applies. Okay? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So it can't be ignored. It and every part of it must be understood in the light of the fulfillment in Christ and would lived out in the new covenant Christ-like full meaning that it was always intended to be. So we're called into living out those commandments as Christians in the fulfillment of what they were meant to be. So what, what, what does this mean? Let me, let's talk about this for a second. Christians are not exempt from Old Testament laws. 
what, uh, but we are not to live them as though we were under the old covenant. All right? Because God hasn't changed. God hasn't had a personality change. All right? It's not like God was angry in the Old Testament and now he's nice. Just like it's not like, you know, the God in the Old Testament, the mean one, that's the Father. And then Jesus comes and he's kind of nice and he'll make it, he'll make it, he'll, he'll deal with the Father for us. No. It's the same God of love that's consistent through all. God doesn't change. Right? So you need to read. And I'm reading through the Old Testament, man. I'm, I'm, re- I'm in the middle of, Je- I just finished Jeremiah, I'm in Lamentations. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of death. <laughs> How can we understand that in the fulfillment of the, of the abundant life that Christ comes? There is an understanding. And is it easy? No. But you need to understand. I'm telling you, this is how you understand it. You you say, how is it fulfilled in Christ? So we don't live them as though we were under the old covenant, but rather as sons and daughters living in the fulfillment. To go back, and, and the New Testament deals with this a lot, if you start trying to fulfill all of the obligations as though you were a Jew living uh, before Christ, you are actually denying the power of Christ's blood. And there's some very stern warnings in the New Testament that says don't do that. <clears throat> you need to read an Old Testament law or any statement in, in the whole of the Bible and ask, how is that fulfilled in Christ? So even no matter how obscure it is, ask yourself, how is that fulfilled in Christ? You know, and there's a lot of them that I read and I go, I have no idea how that's fulfilled in Christ. All right? I will give some examples in the coming slides. But I'll give some examples of the ones I do understand. <laughs> is there... So you ask, how is it fulfilled in Christ? Is there a direct New Testament interpretation? In other words, if there's something in the New Testament that directly interprets an Old Testament custom, tradition, law, or prophecy, then we have the answer already spelled out. If there's not something in the New Testament that directly interprets it, then it still stands as is, lived out in the fulfillment of Christ. Okay? Biblical principle. Don't believe it. You're wrong. I'm not making this up, okay? <laughs> if not, okay, if there's not, if it's, if it's not spelled out, then how might I live the full meaning of it as a Christian? You see, you ask that. How could I live this out? So let's give this example. Tithing, giving 10% of your income. A lot of Christians believe it doesn't matter anymore because it's a new covenant. I, pastors that I know uh, really struggle with this. And I'm going, I struggled with it. I sorted it through and, you know, it still applies. But, you know, we, how do we, we don't live as though we were in the Old Covenant. So you guess what? You don't give your tithes to the Levites. Don't go to the congregation of Moses to drop off your tithes. Okay? <laughs> you want to give them money extra and donate, then it's fine. I don't care. But, uh, but it's given to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is a fulfillment. I taught a series on this, but you read through the Hebrews, book of Hebrews, it talks of two whole chapters on, on how Jesus was the fulfillment, and now that those tithes that, that Abraham gave to Melchizedek, we now give to Christ because Melchizedek is, was Jesus in the Old Testament. It was a picture of Jesus. And who's, how do you give it into Jesus' hand? Well, the church is the body of Christ. And so that's a direct fulfillment. It's not done out of obligation to the law, but out of a relationship of love. Which actually, the tie that is consistent with the Old Testament. That was it was always through relationship, and never through law. There were other 
uh, sacrifices and, and offerings that were given as sin offerings. But the tithe was always because we're in relationship uh, uh, and to receive a blessing. <clears throat> Circumcision. Here's another one. Here we have a clear scripture that addresses the, new, uh, the Old Testament practice of circumcision in the New Testament. We don't have to try to figure out if circumcision still applies. And a lot of, a lot of Christians still have the doctor cir- circumcise their children, and, uh, their male children. Uh, uh, and uh, if they do that, you know, you, you can choose to do that. Uh, it has absolutely no religious value. In fact, the Bible says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Okay? Now, this is a direct uh, addressing of one of the main laws. I mean, in the Old Covenant, if someone was not circumcised, they were not a, a member of, of the body of Christ, or the body of, of, of the people of God. All right? But in Christ... That's no, that no longer applies. Right? And you can debate the medical benefits of it, and you can talk to your doctor about that. But religiously, in our faith, it, it doesn't have any benefit whatsoever. All right? uh, be, uh, but faith, work, he says, instead, it's faith working through that. And the reason for that is that the purpose of circumcision, which demonstrated the removal of the flesh and the mark signifying that you belong to God is no longer accomplished through religious ceremony. The removing of the flesh was accomplished when Jesus hung on the cross and his flesh was put to death. That led up to Jesus. That was a picture, a very graphic, personal picture, if I might mention. Why? Because it it, it was graphic and it is personal. But it's fulfilled in Christ. His body was the flesh that... Uh, that was that 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 fulfilled what that circumcision that that religious ceremony looked forward to. Um, it is accomplished on the cross and is applied in our hearts. We need to have it applied in our hearts. Even in the Old Testament, it says in several places that we, our hearts need to be circumcised. Dietary laws. The primary purpose of all the dietary laws. You know, you can't eat pork or shellfish and all kinds of other stuff. <clears throat> is that just ignored? Well, no. We don't ignore that. In fact, in that, there's lots of messages about uh, how they're fulfilled and what does that mean in the fulfillment of Christ. So the primary purpose for all of them lumped together, I can't go through and and talk about individual ones, was to culturally separate the Hebrews from those in the world, to distinguish them as a people set apart, holy unto God. Matthew, again, we have a New Testament verse that directly talks about, and there's many others. Um, Jesus says, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that, this defiles a man. And then in other passages, passages in the New Testament, uh, we see that um, the necessity of those laws came to a fulfillment in Christ because now... Uh, Christ followers are not to be of just one ethnicity with one cultural distinctiveness, but we are to integrate into all ethnicities and all people worldwide. Okay, And so it's not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth. And so as specific and detailed of, of, of uh, consideration to what the Old Testament and the Old Covenant people gave to what they ate, we should give to what we say. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right? So don't say things 
that are contrary to the nature of God. Don't say things that make you blend in so people don't know that you're different. Does this make sense? All right. So how is that fulfilled in Christ? Well, that's one way. And our holiness is no longer determined by cultural behavior, but by faith and love. Um, and there is a there is a difference. The faith, love, and obedience. We press on. Hebrews talks about this quite clearly. Uh, 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 says by these regulations, and it was specifically talking about the dietary laws and the sacrificial laws, the ceremonial laws. All of these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. This is a New Testament book explaining the Old Testament practices, saying that the Holy Spirit was using that to teach us, to teach everyone that the holy place was not open. Okay? Uh, at that point. This is an illustration, verse 9, pointing to the present time. Okay? That pointed to our time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer were not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. So Christ is the fulfillment. He brings in this better system, this, and, and better meaning more complete, the more, uh, uh, more full <clears throat> to its intended conclusion. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. So we... Are, are, are members of that order, that we're not part of this created world. We're following God as members, sons and daughters of the new creation. Matthew talks about this, or Jesus continues on, saying, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, the last two verses of uh, this morning's message. He switches the subject from him to us. He was talking about how he was a fulfillment, and now he's talking about how we live in response to that. Does that make sense? He says if you break or uh, the least of these commandments or... That could be translated if you ignore or if you relax. If you relax, if you loosen up the restrictions, that, uh, the, the full meaning, you're going to be called least. And he's confronting our behavior. How you behave. How you, how you live out the, the word of the Lord as sons and daughters uh, in, in the fulfillment. And he says, don't relax them. Verse 19 deals with our behavior and what we teach. Verse 20 deals with our righteousness. I'd like to suggest to you that these are two separate issues. They're interrelated, but they're different. Verse 19 talks about those who break, ignore, relax the commandments are least in the kingdom. But those who do and teach them will be, uh, to their fullness will be great. But verse 20 says those who do not exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees will not even enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how there's two groups of people? There's the people who enter, 
The people who enter, some will be least, some will be great. In other words, you'll just get in by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin. Chin. <clears throat> he said, but this other group, unless your righteousness, your level of righteousness exceeds all of these, then you're not even going to get in. So legalism and a legalistic mindset, your behavior equals your righteousness. But in a kingdom mindset, your righteousness, your level of being in right relationship with God determines your behavior. It's a complete turning over of, of how it works. It's not really turning over. It's turning right side up. What the scribes and the Pharisees, what legalism got upside down. He's not saying behavior doesn't count. It counts all. It really counts because it reveals your relationship. Jesus is saying to his listeners uh, that his listeners needed a different kind of righteousness altogether. Love and obedience. Not just a more intense version of the Pharisees' righteousness, which was legal compliance. Uh, <clears throat> now there's, uh, I'm just a list. Uh, what kingdom righteousness looks like. It must come from God, from what God does in us, not what we can do by ourselves. Okay? So it has to be supernaturally empowered. It comes through our relationship with God. It's got to be God-centered, not self-centered. It's more about representing Jesus and, not, and reproducing Christ and not just showcasing our own uh, abilities or, or righteousness or how great we are. How great I am. It must be based on our reverence for God and not approval from people or to get approval from God. You know what? When you speak the truth, a lot of people on Facebook might defriend you. <laughs> and where, what's, your basis of, what's your basis of truth? Is it what you think is right or is it what Jesus represented? It must go beyond keeping the law to living by the principles and the person beyond, behind the law. Okay, so it's not just the principles, it's the person. Behind every one of those laws, every one of those prophecies, there's a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. All right, so live it like Christ, how Christ uh, lived the law. And so for the Easter message, <clears throat> how this ties in the Easter, if it need be, is that we need to be the resurrection. We need to live resurrection lives. Amen. <laughs>